0: Welcome to On Hold, the podcast with a mission to find and interview leaders with unique experiences and radically different ideas for driving customer-centric change. Hey, Ben here, your host this week. This week I am hosting alone, but Sharad and/or Kirsty from the Sentisum team will be here next week to join me. Firstly, I wanted to thank everyone who listened to our first episode released last week with Shaw Mickey i received so many messages on linkedin saying how excited people were to hear from someone considered a legend in the e-commerce industry so that was really cool and exciting and we're really happy to have him as our first guest this week i think we've done it again we've caught up with augie ray who is the vice president analyst at Gartner. He focuses on the advisory of customer experience for CX and marketing leaders. He's also a bit of an all-rounder. He was also the voice of customer CX action at Amex, as well as being the director of social media strategy at Prudential and USAA. So he's really been part of some of the biggest American firms out there. And we basically got a ton of free, super valuable advisory today. To give you a taste of the episode, I wanted to walk you through one of my favorite quotes from this week's podcast, which was, Bad CX is about what companies want. Mediocre CX is about what companies do. And great CX is about how the company works. So we dive into this quote later on in the chat, but I think it quite aptly summarizes a lot of what we talk about in today's episode, what it takes to have really good customer experience. A lot of people seem to come at customer experience from a brand centric point of view, asking how they can improve CX so that customers will take notice and we can acquire them, or we can reduce more call volumes and therefore reduce costs. But none of them are asking if these projects are really making customers happier. Great CX is achieved by getting the fundamentals we discussed today in place. Things like how are you listening to your customer? How are you measuring and prioritizing projects? How are you rewarding customer centric thinking and enabling your team to see failure as a positive thing? So I really hope you enjoyed this podcast. It was so exciting to get to grill Oggy. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening now because we have a ton of exciting guests coming up this season. I'll just start by saying thank you for coming on and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So I have one question for you that I think you'd be perfect to answer as one of the thought leaders in this space. What is and isn't customer experience?
1: Yeah, it's my favorite question. Uh, it's a challenge. As somebody who covers customer experience, has done customer experience, one of the things that I observe is that a factor that really contributes to whether or not it will be successful in the end has a lot to do with how people define it at the beginning. If you define it wrong, you're going to set bad measures, you're going to do bad things, wrong things. If you define it right, then you obviously end up in a better place so at Gartner, we offer customer experience research and advisory services. And here's a place to start. There are two definitions, let's say. One is the customer side of this equation, and it is customer experience. It is the sum total of their experiences and its effect on their perception of the organization, regardless of whether those experiences, of course, are online or off or with your employees or your vendors or your advertising, your content, your product. That's a very broad definition, of course. But we know that the sum of what we do with our customers as an impact on what they think of us and their perception. In fact, I sometimes joke that definition of CX is identical to the definition of brand. The flip side, and this is where it becomes important to define it, is that customer experience management is what we do. That's our side of this equation. The way we define it at Gartner is how do you understand and know what people want, need, and expect from you so that you can deliver experiences that meet or exceed expectations and ultimately improve, and I'll always dramatically pause and say this is the important part of the definition, customer satisfaction, loyalty, and advocacy. In other words, the journey that people take to acquisition is certainly important, but we have marketing, which is a discipline dedicated to understanding how to raise awareness and consideration and inbound traffic and acquisition and leads and conversions. What makes CX management different is this focus on satisfaction, loyalty, and advocacy, because normally that's scattered around the organization. People do or don't care about it. The customer care group might think it's all about the customer service interaction we provide. The product group might think product is king, and it's all about what people say about the product. And so what makes CXM, customer experience management, different is this idea of focusing on satisfaction, loyalty, and advocacy. And right off the bat, what you get from that is that I talk to a lot of marketers who want to talk customer experience, and they think it means... What are the experiences that will get people to take notice of me so that I can acquire them? And I'll say, you don't need to redefine marketing, right? That's marketing's got a definition. It's an effective definition. It's a science. We know how to do it. Giving marketing a new name doesn't, in fact, improve marketing. What it does is it takes away from customer experience. And so if we align to what are you trying to achieve? Is it how satisfied are people? How loyal are they? And of course, there are ways of measuring this. There's attitudinal behavioral loyalty. On the behavioral side, it means things like reduced churn, increased retention, improved cross-sell breadth of products that are sold, those sorts of things. And advocacy, how much referral volume, how much word of mouth. And ultimately, what we generally find is that getting this definition right is really really key to being able to be truly customer centric and not just brand centric, because ultimately, if your question is, how do I get more people to buy my stuff, you're being very brand centric. And that's great. You need that. That's a great business outcome. But brands don't thrive only by attracting new customers. They thrive by keeping them and growing them. And that's where customer experience comes in. Is that
0: something then that is the responsibility of every team? So like you said, the product people have the metrics that they find important. And each team, like the customer support team, will have their part of customer experience they find important. But is customer experience management? the thing that brings those all together.
1: There's value in collaborating across the organization. If every team only optimizes the touch points they're responsible for, We forget to pay attention to the journey and the connective tissue. We also can make mistakes. If every team does their own surveying and their own research, then we can annoy our customers, right? By surveying them or over-surveying too much. And so the idea of customer experience management is a discipline. Is It's a bringing together of the methods for understanding what customer perception is of our organization, things like customer research or voice of customer. Working together to understand the connective tissue and journeys that It's not just about optimizing any one touch point. We have to understand how people move from one step to the next. And ultimately, by bringing this together, what we end up doing is being able to do a better job of turning what seems like a fluffy thing to organizations. When I start talking about, let's raise our net promoter score our customer satisfaction is low. What will happen is that nobody will ever say, I don't care, nobody ever says that. Nobody ever argues that we are going to do better if we have lower customer satisfaction. We all know that we want to improve it. But when it really comes time to make hard financial decisions, when our leaders are looking at the 100 proposed projects and 90 of them have a hard ROI associated with them, and I show up and say, hey, we should do this to improve net promoter score, I will typically lose. And so by bringing these things together, what we end up doing is creating a mechanism where we can work together to understand that as we lift satisfaction, we actually deliver greater margin and growth. That my most satisfied customers, in fact, buy more stay longer, have a lower cost to serve or retain, refer more business. And by bringing all of this data and thought together from across the organization, we turn this from something that seems nice to do and fluffy to do into something that is actually a driver of business success. That doesn't happen if everyone does their own thing and is only focused on what score am I getting. There are all sorts of ways that we see that groups will come together, organizations will will bring groups together from across the organization. But as you just hinted at, customer experience management is a discipline of getting the groups to work together of tearing down silos of having a more unified view of customers and ultimately what we want to do is to get customer service out of thinking that customer service is the only important touch point in the product team to think it's all about product and the content team to think it's just about content and everyone ultimately is competing with each other instead of collaborating together to see how the, the pieces of the whole end up in creating that unified customer experience
0: mm-hmm. definitely and how would you tie nps to financial metrics we've done some research on this. In fact, uh,
1: what I'll tell you is that in 2019, uh, our study of customer experience found that around three quarters of organizations have already done the what we would consider to be a best practice and, and the way to do this is to start with some level of customer feedback or voc voice of customer data and generally what we want to do is to source this from the customer we can't say that we're doing customer experience unless we're being customer centric and so if all we care about at the end of the day is how many clicks we get or how much adoption or how many sales ultimately we're not measuring things from the customer's perspective we're still measuring them from our perspective and so what we want to do is start with a customer sourced measure their perception of what they think. Typically, this is going to be things like net promoter score, customer satisfaction, customer effort score. That's our starting. And if we can identify by customer what their scores are and then bring our operational data together, can we demonstrate that let's, for instance, use the language of NPS or net promoter score. If we look at our promoters versus our detractors on a a customer-by-customer basis and aggregate the data, can we see that they, in fact, Will churn less? Will our promoters churn less? Will they stay longer? Do they call us less often, which means they've got a lower cost to serve? In the B2B world, I have clients that will calculate a cost to retain their customers when it comes time to renewal. How much effort, how many hours is going into retention? And one of my clients found that they had half the cost to renew and retain from their promoters as their detractors. And so what we're really doing is trying to make that customer sourced effect of their perception, the measurement that we then turn into a more financial measure. Let me back out a little bit and just say it this way, because this tends to resonate. I have clients and vendors who will want to brief me on their programs, their customer experience programs. One common thing that I see a lot is a vendor will say, we are in the next best action and personalization world, and we improve customer experience. And I'll say, great, how do you measure it? When my clients implement my platform, their conversion rate goes up, their sales rate goes up, they make more money. And I'm like, great. That's a wonderful business outcome. Another example would be on more of the customer service side. I'll have people say we did a CX program to do self-service. As a result, our call volume dropped and we were able to decrease headcount and decrease cost. I'm like, great, that's a great business outcome. But in neither of those cases did we measure whether the customer was any happier. Were they more loyal? Are they less likely to churn? All we did was measure the increase in conversion or the decrease in costs. And so what we want to do with customer centricity and with this analysis we're talking about is to demonstrate that not just that we will look for the most directly attributed Short term financial goals, but that we recognize as we improve satisfaction, as we improve the relationship with our customer, that's a leading indicator of future success. We keep them longer, they spend more, they acquire more from us. And so, by bringing this data together at a customer level, look at your NPS promoters, your NPS detractors, and again, it could be CSAT, effort score, anything. Can you demonstrate by bringing your data together that they stay longer and spend more and have a lower cost to serve and reform more business? I have many clients that will do this analysis and find that there is a Essentially, what we're doing is distilling this into a lifetime value question. Do we know that our most satisfied customers drive a higher lifetime value than our least satisfied customers? And if so, what do we need to do to make our least satisfied customers more satisfied? So that's the general approach. It tends to be quite practical, but a lot of organizations struggle because they may not have the data or the means to bring it together in this way.
0: I think your point there is really interesting about focusing on the wrong metrics. So I think a lot of teams do this. If you're trying to reduce, like you said, the head count in the customer support team, um, and deflect more tickets and reduce support tickets, it doesn't necessarily mean those people are happier. And I think taking that holistic point of view is really important.
1: Yep. And so what's interesting is we'll try to discourage a lot of my customer experience clients will immediately jump to what am I doing to improve acquisition? What am I doing to reduce costs? And what we would urge is that those are important parts of the story, but make those the secondary part of the story, the primary part of the story, if we're going to do CX if we're going to be customer centricity, has to be what our impact on the customer is. How are we measuring it? Are we
0: demonstrating it's important? Do you have any examples of people you think are doing this really well? It's
1: interesting because people often ask who are the leaders in customer experience? And usually the same sorts of names get mentioned. Everyone loves Disney. Everyone loves Ritz-Carlton. Costco gets mentioned. Starbucks gets mentioned. USAA happens to be a firm I worked at. A financial services firm in a category that rarely gets much love. USAA gets some of the highest net promoter scores of any company in the U.S. And so when you say, what are firms doing well? And we can look at the Amazons, the Apples and all these companies that I mentioned and say, look, they're doing well. And we know they're doing well because they keep their customers and they don't churn, they grow their customers. And and as a result, they get uh, market value stock values that are improved because people recognize these are strong brands with strong relationships. The real question you're asking, which is interesting, and this is where we can't begin to point out specific ones, is what are the firms that are trying to become that next USAA or Starbucks or Amazon or Disney that are not right now enjoying a very high level of satisfaction? What are they doing about it? And I have clients that are thinking about their survey programs. How do, when I capture this data, how do I combine it with other data? much as we just spoke about. And then how do I disseminate it back out to people in meaningful, relevant ways so that what you don't want to just do is report an NPS score across the company. What you want to be able to do, and we've alluded to this earlier, is tell the product people what they need to know as they develop their next product. Tell the customer care people what they need to know as they think about their next iteration of customer care strategy. And so you know, a lot of hard work goes into doing that. And I know organizations that are being enormously effective. I have clients on the financial services side, for instance, that have Literally thousands of employees that have their own dashboard, telling them information that is relevant to their job, from the customer care rep on the front lines all the way up to vice presidents over regions. And so there are a lot of examples uh, of organizations doing the right things. It just isn't always as apparent because we know the the brands that make us extraordinarily happy. We don't always see the hard work going into making a brand achieve that.
0: What I find a little bit confusing is that there are some companies let's say like Disney who can be so big, but also do this so well. But then there's a lot of corporate companies that we all know that seem to struggle to make any kind of change happen. Why do you think that is? There's a number of factors
1: for that. One of the things that we have to acknowledge is that there are verticals where customer experience is, frankly, just a little easier, right? If you're Disney and you're in the resort and theme park business, you are inherently in the experience business. Now, I would argue that every company is in the experience business, but at the same time, if you're a bank and what you do is offer checking accounts, what you don't need to do is create a, a theme park that people will experience to tell them to give them a great experience of how to get into your bank. And so there are these verticals that That are a little more challenged. So what becomes important is to focus not so much on the experience but the customer. That's one of the problems that we see. Another common situation when you focus on the experience, not the customer, is we talk a lot about innovation these days and digital transformation. And I have lots of brands who have asked about a problem that they have, which is they heard that voice technology was hot. They saw all the data of voice devices that are in people's homes these days. And so they said, we're going to be innovative. We're going to have a voice application. they spend some money, they launch it, and I've talked to companies that are getting literally zero usage of their voice application. Uh, and it's because, and any of us who have these voice devices recognize it, we ask it to play music, we ask it what the weather forecast is, we ask it to turn on and off lights. We generally don't want to have a conversation with our voice application to ask what our account balance is. We've got perfectly acceptable ways of finding our account balances on these things. It's private, I don't have to speak it, nobody around me has to hear what my account balance is, or that I'm overdrawn. And so what happens is with focusing on experience, not the customers, we end up developing solutions in search of a problem. And then we wonder why they don't work. Instead, what we want to try to do is put that onus on, what do we understand about customer needs? Two things that begin to drive this conversation is what are the drivers of dissatisfaction, where are my broken touch points, of course, and what is not working for people, but also what are the unmet needs that people have that where I could begin to apply an innovative solution. And so the idea of what are the needs and is a voice application the best way of solving that needs is the way to think about whether to develop a voice app or not. Just thinking I should develop a voice app because this is a hot tech and people will beat a, a path to door is not the path to success. So I always say focus on the customer, not the experience. If you focus on the customer, then you will naturally develop the experiences people want. And that's how we overcome that problem where not every company can be Disney. Not every company can have walking, plush toys, greeting kids, and theme park rides. And so it's great to use Disney as an example because we've been to bad theme parks and we've been to good theme parks. I'm not saying that it's an easy, easy vertical, but some brands do have it easier. And if you really understand the customer and what their needs and wants are and how your organization is doing and meeting those you'll be able to find those experiences maybe not theme park rides and restaurants but at least the experiences that your customers want
0: i definitely agree in some industries it's much easier to focus on customer experience but i think with the banking example there are um you know plenty of challenger banks like revolut and monzo in the uk who have dramatically improved the customer experience for people and other banks are now following.
1: Yeah. One of the problems in it too. So we, I just talked about innovation and, and one of the downsides of simply chasing new technology to chase it. The flip side is that what happens with new technology, we've seen it in retail, we've seen it with banking, is that it changes people's needs. And too many organizations get very comfortable with the current situation and they miss that these needs are changing, which just brings us back to the conversation of how are you listening to your customers and what their needs are? Are their values changing? And if their values are changing, then their needs are changing with them. So it's interesting. Uh, Here in the US, I like to point out a lot of retailers are struggling. I'm not saying Best Buy is necessarily the strongest retailer around, but this is a company that five years ago people thought was going to be showroomed out of existence, right? Mm -hmm. Why do they need all of this physical space? Everything's going online. and When you look at what Best Buy did, bringing the best of online and offline together, of really understanding that people's expectations were changing, of being able to order online and pick up in store, for instance, and the role of Geek Squad even their product mix. The fact that they have begun to emphasize appliances more, something that people want to touch and close and open the door. Best Buy is a really good example of an organization that I think that so many people thought was on its way out of existence that listened to customers, tracked values, looked at the way they were shopping, and made some very smart decisions about how to bring the best of online and offline together.
0: So there are examples. I think it takes some really forward-thinking, dedicated teams to make sure that like, companies like Best Buy don't miss the customer needs completely.
1: Yeah, the other challenge that we have to acknowledge is it takes great leadership, right? I have to be cautious because I advise customer experience leaders in, in organizations, and I need to help them whether or not they've got great leaders. But you can't shake the feeling when we start listing the, the firms that we've talked about that you know having really great leadership that starts with customer centricity, that bakes into the organization, the idea of listening to customers and responding to needs, of running pilots, of taking risks so that as we do things that fail, that doesn't become a problem for our organization, but a learning part of the process. And I am a pretty harsh critic of Jeff Bezos for many reasons, I will tell you, but I have to give him uh, a lot of credit for structuring an organization that is built from scratch to be so focused on customer needs that they are able to explore these things. And, and so often we think of Amazon as a company that just succeeds succeeded everything. And I love to point out, they tried to launch a competitor to Android and iPhone. There was the uh, Fire Phone that came and went awfully quickly. It was a pretty dismal failure. It didn't last in the marketplace longer than 18 months, I don't think. Amazon can fail, but they're always trying new things and they don't let their failures define them. And that's a a really important aspect of this that gets lost when we are trying to talk about a customer-centric
0: organization. Definitely. Definitely. And it seems like great leaders will take a risk and will invest in getting the voice of the customer into the experimentation process for sure. So I was wondering, we talked a little bit before about getting the right information to the right team at the right time, for example, getting the product team the insights that they need from customer support to help them build a better product. How important do you think real-time insights here are, like the speed to insight?
1: Real-time becomes really important, but there is absolutely a balance here. You mentioned NPS, I mentioned it a lot, but let's talk about that is that on a real-time basis, if you monitor NPS on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis, it's going to go up and down. We wouldn't advise our clients to get too bent out of shape about those fluctuations. What you want to be able to do is to pull the, the signal from the noise. And so real-time data becomes especially important in certain circumstances and use cases. A really good example is when a company launches something new or a new iteration of something, they want to be listening in real time to see whether people are more satisfied. And they, they might do that, for instance, if they launch a new app by watching the app store ratings. They might look at in-app surveys that they execute. They certainly are going to look at their adoption and usage and engagement metrics. So there's a, a variety of real-time ways to know that when I make a change, this change is, in fact, delivering the experience that my customers expect and want. At the same time, real-time also becomes a real obsessive focus that can get in the way of understanding the larger themes that are happening. And so we absolutely see real-time data as being really vital, but we also will urge our clients to think about monitoring trends. These are things that only develop over time. You know, During COVID, this is a really excellent time. People want to know what's next and what the new normal is going to be. And the questions are valid and are interesting ones, and everyone's got an opinion, but it comes down to how are the values of our customers changing? Are people going to race back into workplaces, or are they going to work from home more permanently. I've got a bet on that. I think work from home is going to become a whole lot more common in 2021 and 2022 than it was in in 2019. But the way to find that out is to listen to customers and see if their values are changing. And that's not a real time thing. We know what's happening right now during COVID. When we really want to see what's ahead, we have to begin to listen for those value changes. I think there's a lot to real time, but I also would caution clients from making sure that they get out of the constant rushing waters of real-time data to pay a little attention to whether the river there is in fact rising or falling.
0: That's a great metaphor. Everyone needs to step back sometimes and look at the overall strategy from a long-term perspective. So you mentioned COVID-19 there. What are the biggest challenges and changes that you've seen that people need to be aware of?
1: COVID-19 has been an interesting thing for all of us, of course. One of the things we've tracked as we talk to our clients and vendors in the space is that, interestingly enough, a lot of scores went up in spring which people didn't necessarily expect. There's a lot of concern that as COVID happens, as people end up being caught at home and doing the staying at home or the quarantining, that maybe they'd be frustrated and scores would go down. And in fact, we generally broadly across a lot of brands, scores generally going up, NPS scores, CSAT scores. To many brands, have has begun to reverse, not Uh, uniformly across all categories. And the reason it seems to be reversing is that a lot of brands biased in spring to really helping clients. I was really impressed with how many brands started with we have to help our customers. Banks immediately started waiving fees. Companies stopped late penalties and collections. There were special programs to help people who had lost their jobs. A lot of brands stepped up. And I think we got to give a lot of credit to companies that don't always have a sort of customer first mentality to the fact that their initial reaction in this crisis was to help people, which is terrific. The problem is that The attitude that people had in March and April was that this was going to be short-term. There was a talk of a sharp V recovery. We thought we'd get through this period and things will get back to normal. You heard people starting to talk about when things are normal in summer. And those of us tracking COVID knew that things weren't going to be normal in summer. We were going to go through waves. We still might face additional waves of infections this fall and winter. What's happening is a lot of brands that bias toward let's do what we can to help customers. Now that they're two, three, four months into this are beginning to ask, How they can, if and how they can sustain that. Lots of companies are struggling with their own, of course, financial struggles. And so a lot of companies are beginning to dial back some of the offers, some of the concessions that they offered people. And as a result, we're beginning to see scores begin to vacillate a little more. And so one of the things that I'd just say that we've seen is it's been an interesting to track the data, but a lot of brands have got to give some serious consideration to what it's going to take to get through what certainly promises to be. I don't want to play either economist or a pretty long situation. We are not going to be out of this in December, we may or may not have a vaccine, God only knows how many people will take it or how widely it can be disseminated and, not, and how quickly. This is going to be something we're going to struggle with all winter. If you begin to track some of the economic impact forecasts from the World Bank or the IMF or the Congressional Budget Office here in the U.S., you begin to see that we expect GDP to be impacted negatively, not as negatively this year as next, but we're going to be well below 2019 levels. We think there's going to be here in the U.S. double-digit unemployment through much, if not most, or all of next year. Brands have got to be thinking about a scenario I had that isn't geared only to an optimistic rapid recovery, but to think pretty long and hard about what a scenario might look like if this becomes a very hard, lengthy recession. And so we're talking to our clients a lot about scenario planning. Good to have that optimistic scenario, but if it doesn't work out that way, what are the plans you need to do? What are the signals you need to listen to so that you can be prepared for a less optimistic, more difficult, road ahead. So those are some of the conversations we're happy having with our clients these days.
0: It's really interesting. If only companies could take such a customer first attitude and have the resources to do so all year round um, without this sort of crazy situation going on. So I've just got time for one more question. I've looked at the Gartner quadrant that has challenges, leaders, niche players, and visionaries. How can a company get into that top right-hand corner of leader within customer experience?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And what's interesting about it is, what happens is a lot of organizations say we want to do what Amazon did. Amazon's visionary; they're in that top quadrant. Tell us what Amazon did. And one of the answers is that, first of all, in a lot of verticals, you can't do what Amazon did. Again, we talked about some of the different unique challenges and and opportunities in different verticals. Maybe you can't be the Amazon. Second of all, you don't get to be Amazon by repeating what Amazon did. Amazon didn't get to be Amazon by repeating what anyone else did. If you want to be visionary, you've got to be customer centric. You have to understand as a result why you should be focusing on measures of satisfaction, loyalty, and advocacy equally to short-term financial measures. If if all you're doing is making short-term financial decisions, you can't get to be visionary. And understand the economic impact of stronger relationships and the value of customer centricity. Create those mechanisms for understanding and learning. You know, there's a lot of things here, and, and we touched on some of them, but again, having a culture of test and learn and of not uh, punishing failure, of making sure that you understand the ways to limit the adverse impact of failure. So there's a lot of things that we see will define those challenges. And so often what happens is organizations will only repeat sort of the very thin, facile stuff. It's like Amazon does technology, so we're gonna go through a digital transformation. That's great, you should, but don't think that's gonna make you a visionary because you can digitally transform your tools in a way that focuses on your needs, focuses in short-term basis, does a bad job of providing better customer experiences. There certainly are lots of companies that have deployed technologies that have hurt, in fact, their relationships and their customer experience. So we'll always try to step back from some of the the sort of surface practices and really begin to explore these questions of how are you listening? How are you disseminating? What are your goals? What are your metrics? How do you balance? Some of those things that we tend to focus on when we're trying to help an organization get
0: out of one of those other quadrants and in into visionary. So it's about getting the building blocks very solidly in the right place. Yeah. yeah.
1: I posted something on LinkedIn last week that really generated a lot of interesting buzz, but I said, um, bad CX is about what, what companies want. And we talked about this. Brands will say, I want more conversion. So what's the CX that I should provide? Mediocre CX is about what companies do. So what I'll see is a lot of brands, they haven't taken the time to do that listening we've talked about. They're just biasing the action. We're going to implement this and that, and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And if I say why, they don't know. It Seems like it would provide good CX. Everyone agrees, but you know, it's based on internal assumption and that's mediocre. Really great CX, to your point, is about how the company works, which is weird because people expect that great CX is going to be about the customer. And it, ultimately it is, but it is, how are you listening? How are you learning? How are you focusing? How are you measuring? How are you prioritizing? It is really about how the company works and is it is it going to reward and implement a customer-centric
0: culture? Augie, I think that's a really impactful and poignant place to end the chat. Thank you so much for coming on. It's really been great chatting to you and we've learned a lot today.
1: Thank you, I appreciate
0: the time. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. I'm just coming in at the end here to say we have an amazing newsletter that not only notifies you when a new podcast is released, but tells you all of the content that we've made during that week, all around what the guests have said, deeper analysis, other interviews, that kind of thing. It's really something that is actually worth uh, subscribing to that's our aim at least. Um, If you like this podcast, please share it. Thank you. See you next week.